and I might firstly go to Adelaide Timbrell from our economics team to talk to the economic conditions both here in Australia but perhaps also touching on the external environment and how we see demand holding up and the key economic indicators that are at play here. And as we consider that, we might touch on them as we talk through a range of commodities as well. But over to you, firstly, if I can, Adelaide, how's our economy holding out and what can we expect? Thank you. So COVID-19's impact on the Australian economy was a lot quicker and deeper than what we've seen in other recessions. And that does mean that it will take a little bit longer to come back up to um, the kind of labour market conditions and economic conditions that we were used to. Um, so we did see a 7% decline in GDP in the uh, June quarter this year, which was really the bulk of um, economic loss that we will see through the COVID downturn because that was when everyone's locked in the house, people weren't able to consume as they normally would and businesses weren't able to operate as they normally would. We generally have not seen many GDP declines in a single quarter above 1%, so 7% really is very different to what we've seen in other downturns. However, when we look to other countries, it doesn't look quite as negative. So, for example, the UK uh, in the same quarter actually dropped their GDP by about 20%, uh, and in the US it was around the 10% mark. So we've actually done kind of okay when we compare ourselves to those other countries, and particularly as we see how COVID-19 has been contained in Australia, you know, through the first wave nationally and the second wave in Victoria, we've really done a lot better than other countries as well. Global case numbers have actually now topped 60 million. Uh, in Australia, in terms of our active cases, we've got less than 100 uh, and we've had less than uh, around 30,000 total Australia as well. So we're doing a lot better on that front. That's allowed us to see a lot of optimism in our economy. People are allowed to leave the house, but they're also confident to do so, confident to spend money uh, and make investments as well. So the housing market's turned around a lot quicker than expected. That's a really great a great indicator for consumer confidence. And although we lost 870,000 jobs at the beginning of the COVID downturn, we've actually seen 648,000 of those jobs regain. Uh, and we do expect to see after um, JobKeeper, we expect to see the unemployment rate go up a little bit um, above 7%, which is what it is now. Um, but we're seeing a lot of optimism in the economy and we may see that by the end of next year, things are, are looking a lot better than they were kind of in the last few months. So although there's been a huge amount of economic loss around the world and that global coordination and restriction of movement in terms of economic impacts has created a really strong uh, economic loss from COVID-19, we're also seeing a lot of optimism that really strong down downward turn in the economy could be followed by a relatively quick upturn. And our GDP forecasts for the September quarter are actually an uplift of 3%, so bringing back around a third of that economic loss that we saw in the June quarter. Adelaide, is it fair to say that for all of the downside that's occurred and we've seen the first hit on our, our GDP numbers, the amount of intervention in the economy, the, the government spending, the relief packages available to people, is the shock still coming? And if so, when and how deep might it be before we continue on a, a better journey, perhaps? Absolutely. So the fiscal support that we've seen this year has been absolutely critical to our economic activity during and after 
some of the COVID-19 impacts that we saw. So we actually saw for this financial year, government payment went up to 35% of GDP. Uh, and so that's a lot, that's, you know, maybe six to seven times higher than we've seen in normal times. That has really mitigated some of the risks to employment, um, to business shutdowns uh, and to other negative impacts of lockdowns and of the kind of economic scarring that's come out of those extended lockdowns for some businesses. What it's done is it's reduced the amount of economic pain that we'll see in the entirety of this period, but it's also delayed some of the pain. So business insolvencies have actually actually been lower this year than in the normal year. I think we all know that's not because business is booming. It's because of JobKeeper and massive wage subsidies across the economy. So in the March quarter next year, we are likely to see a little bit more unemployment, maybe some business shutdowns perhaps as well, as fewer businesses are able to rely on those higher JobKeeper payments. However, compared to at the start of the downturn, we've got a lot more reason to be optimistic about size of some of those shocks. And we're seeing that as fewer businesses are even eligible for JobKeeper uh, in the current quarter, that's a really great sign to say that there's not really a lot of businesses now that have had ongoing revenue kind of downturn. And that's been something that will give us a good sign for perhaps a much smaller rise in unemployment than we may have forecast, you know, three to six months ago. So even though we are likely to see unemployment kind of tick up in the first half of next year, it just may not be quite as bad as, as what we were thinking. And certainly the fear of double-digit unemployment rates is kind of over now. Uh, and that's going to be a great thing for consumer spending and also for you know, just allowing people to have spare money to spend that little bit extra on things like tourism, dining and those other products which stimulate, you know, the economy in quite a broad-based way. I think compared to other countries, we're doing quite well on that front, whereas other countries we may see the spare cash free for things like tourism and um, inbound tourism to Australia or any luxury uh, agriculture exports from Australia to those other countries may have some downside risks just from certain countries not really doing quite as well on the economic front as we have locally. Adelaide, when it comes to debt, there's never been a cheaper time for most people to have debt, uh, whether that's business or government. Is the nature of borrowing that's gone with all this something that we're feeling okay about? Um, I guess the other caveat here is that we expect to smoothly move out of COVID into a vaccinated world and prevention that would you know, reduce the chance of any third, fourth waves that might come through. But with all that debt in the system, do you think it's a problem? Is it in fact something that might limit future interest rate increases? How, how do we feel about the medium term outlook on, on interest rates? I know you can't predict it necessarily. So when it comes to government debt, it's not a worry at all. We are facing very, very low interest rates. The Reserve Bank has been very explicit to say that interest rates will not rise for the next three years and have also created some other easing measures by purchasing bonds uh, and other financial assets to reduce borrowing costs for both short-term and longer-term lending. So for governments, you know, the best way to reduce their debt burden is to make sure the economy is growing and that has been the approach. So on the government side, it's not really uh, worrisome. When it comes to personal household debt, we've actually seen credit growth relatively slow. So while there are a lot of people applying for new mortgages and we've seen owner-occupier lending in particular reach above 30% year-on-year growth, 
we're also seeing a lot of other people pay down their personal debt and pay down their mortgage debt um, due to actually being not able to spend as much as they normally would. When it comes to COVID-19's economic impact, there's been a real concentration of job losses for lower income and younger workers. Those people tend to have less debt than older, higher income earners because they have been locked out of the property market um, due to the housing boom over the last decade. The, there are some obvious social and equity downside to that, but the upside is that the people with debt were much less likely to have lost their job. They're much more likely to be able to pay. And for a lot of households, it's actually been a strengthening in their financial position and a reduction in their total debt. So although we're seeing a lot of lending going on, we know that people's mortgages, the cost of servicing those mortgages isn't going to increase for at least the next three years. We know that the people who are borrowing more are facing tougher lending standards than they were, say, six to eight years ago. So there is some mitigation of risk there as well. And we also know that the people who are able to borrow are also in very stable employment, which allows us to see a relatively low risk on that front. Financial institutions have also put in mortgage deferrals and medium forbearance measures. So we know that there's leeway for a lot of people to handle that debt without creating a lot of downward economic side effects for businesses. The main issue really is demand for lending rather than any risks there. We know that businesses are looking at a lower population growth, low wage growth, kind of shaky environment over particularly the next six months, and that is going to reduce their appetite to take on risk and invest. But the more we see that risk appetite come up, the more jobs get created and the more avenues people can spend and earn money in the economy. So the government and the Reserve Bank are both working hard to make that happen uh, and hopefully we'll see some virtuous cycles um, come out of that lending appetite as people's confidence grows into the future. Yes, and we've seen debt continue to grow in the agribusiness sector and whilst uh, some of that might have been to cover some poorer seasons, there's certainly a case to be made for investment for growth in profitable business structures still and you know all of that's driving a fair bit of confidence and uh, as indicated in our ANZ Roy Morgan research recently. Adelaide, how do you describe the geopolitical environment at the moment? I think that globally we are seeing a lot of emphasis on renationalisation and there are some tensions between trade partners, particularly we're seeing Australia uh, and China faced some increasing tariffs. We've seen wine tariffs in particular increase. We've also seen some possible risks to exports in, you know, lobster, um, coal, timber, and some other key commodities as well. Um, longer term, though, I think, you know, we do have a strong incentive on both sides to keep trade open going. Australia is a small open economy, so for us exports are relatively important and for China as well, you know, they do benefit from the products that we trade with them and they benefit from our trading relationship too. So in the longer term, I think the strong economic incentives are to, you know, smooth over some of those geopolitical tensions. But when we look more broadly, we are faced with a coordinated global downturn, which means a lot of countries with a little bit less money than usual and that's something that may see you know some changing trade relationships and uh, economic priorities among governments over the coming years as well.